Hello, you're listening to Aaron Parsons After Dark. I'm here to share my full testimony of my life as an evangelical Christian, and also to declare some closure as I'm not practicing anymore, and I still believe in God. I'm just not sure if I would, you know, go Episcopalian or Methodist. I don't know. I'm still sorting that part out. I just know that evangelicalism's not for me, and I just want to record this episode so I can get some closure in that chapter of my life. I'm officially doing that after I release one more album from the old days. I'm considering writing a memoir on what I'm going to be sharing, but I figure I'd give a convincing argument via podcast as to why my beliefs have changed. I'll also describe everything from traumatic experiences to relationships to how autism became part of the deconstruction process. I'm not doing this so people can feel sorry for me or so I can get some empathy or sympathy or whatever. I just want to be real. I just need an outlet to express the things I'm going through. And if you're listening, I just want you to know where I'm coming from so... I don't always have to explain why I'm doing what I'm doing. So, my story begins in the 1980s. Ronald Reagan was running against Jimmy Carter, Pierre Trudeau was prime minister, the moral majority was on the rise, and my parents got saved and attended a charismatic prayer group in the 70s. The reason I begin here was because my parents visited a doctor when my mom was pregnant with me. The doctor said that I would have mental problems, quote-unquote. My parents took this over to their prayer group and they prayed I would be healthy and strong and most of all possess the mind of Christ. And, I mean, obviously my parents are pro-life and they wanted to ensure that I was born and they prayed hard that I would become something great. I even think my parents still pray this prayer today. In June, I was born, uh, June of 1983. I was born during one of the hottest times of the year. The labor was easy for my mom. Well, that's what she claimed anyway, but I didn't handle heat well, even though um, that kind of changed when I went to Florida in 2017. I prefer the tropics now as opposed to snow, and I really enjoy those winters when I can travel south. My parents described the first part of my childhood as consistently crying and throwing up milk. Well, a lot of my childhood was spent vomiting just because my stomach wasn't exactly the strongest. I, I actually had to build that up. Um, let's, let's move on. My parents wanted to homeschool me, but they couldn't afford it. Once they bought my house in southern Winnipeg and my sister was born, they both had to work two jobs. And they got to a place financially, thanks to my dad's job with Parks Canada and the government and mom's biochemistry work in a pharmaceutical lab, they decided to send me to a private school. Even as on fire for God as my parents were, they still embraced secular science and a healthy view of the government, regardless of who was in power. The thing that Americans listening have to understand is that Americanism, when it comes to believing certain individual things when it comes to health and government, we're not really as um, 
independent as you'd think. But back to the private school sending, I think the reason that they sent me to a private school was so that I wouldn't be corrupted by the education of the world. So that part of being raised in a Christian environment was ingrained into their ideology. And they also did it so my, I guess my mom's faith of Catholicism would be a educational experience for me because of their rituals and the fact that they're very disciplined in terms of how they practice their form of Christianity. Of course, the problem being that I came from a Protestant family and a Protestant kid in a Catholic school, there tends to be some issues there. I wasn't allowed to take communion, even though I knew in Galatians 3.28, you know, there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you're all in Christ Jesus, right? To me, this verse that I learned at a very young age, it indicates that gender equality and being anti-racist is very important to me, especially considering I'm a mixed person. I'm part Filipino and... Uh, my dad's ancestry comes from England. My mom was born in a small town in the Philippines called Tarlac. The idea that everyone deserves equal treatment is just something that was ingrained to me. Uh, my parents taught me not to be racist when I was very young, even though sometimes I really didn't like certain kinds of foods that my Filipino side of the family were eating all the time. And moving forward, sorry, I'm a little all over the place. Hopefully, I can have more, uh, more of a cohesive speech in the later part of this episode. At Catholic Mass, it, it happens once every couple of weeks at the school I was going to. I'd go up to take the little wafers. And when my teacher stopped me at one point, I would argue that all deserve that communion with God because my parents broke bread in their church group. But nope, the teacher gave a lecture to the entire class and told them because of my, you know, wanting to take the wafer, you know, no one can take the wafers unless they're Catholic. And to me, that was just unbelievable. So for the rest of my time in Catholic school, I took a disliking to a lot of people there, and I really disliked going to church and to Mass. And I tried to be better at them all the time at gym class, and while I didn't succeed at any kind of strength training or rope climbing, I was good at track and field. I could run fast. In fact, because I was bullied a lot due to autism, I was able to run faster than all the other guys in the school. But when I competed with other schools, I would constantly lose, and I wasn't a really good representative of my school whenever we would compete locally. As you could probably tell, I was torn between two ideologies, making sure everyone's treated fully or ensuring outcasts like myself get mine, you know what I'm saying? And as a child growing up with both Catholic and Protestant ways to live, pretty bad place to be, especially when you're a kid. My Protestant Sunday school teachers taught me 
um, not to be rude, but the only way I can put it is they taught me not to be a dick, which I was a pretty big one back then. And my Catholic school taught me to be competitive with a nonstop work ethic. And because I'm an artist, I persist and grind while still struggling to take breaks, rest, and to meditate. The thing is, if you work so hard, you eventually do burn out, especially if you're an artist. Now, normally I do musical and audio stuff now, but before I got into it, I actually wanted to be a cartoonist, not like a comic book or Marvel or anime or Studio Gooby or, oh man, I forget the name. But we're talking Bill Watterson, Scott Adams, Charles M. Schultz, Calvin and Hobbes, Charlie Brown, Dilbert, that kind of stuff. I wanted to do the Saturday funnies. I would make comics about my struggles as a kid being bullied in the world, a world that watches SNL, MTV, and worships bands like Ace of Bass and No Doubt. And of course, my wife and I listen to those bands now because <laughs> we both weren't allowed to while we were growing up in super fundamentalist environments. Oh, sorry for the burp. Eventually, my cartoons got out and people always yelled at me because my characters would say the quiet parts out loud in their speech bubbles. And these are things that my Protestant parents don't want me to say in school, especially when I talk about other characters going to hell. During my childhood, my parents did everything to shelter us. My sister and I, we couldn't have video games. We couldn't watch certain TV shows. We couldn't even watch some G-rated stuff. It was that bad. But hey, we can read about King David watching Bathsheba and then taking her to bed with him. We can learn about the firstborn Egyptians dying while God sets the Israelites free. And we're able to discuss the Bible more freely the moment my family started attending a Christian Reformed church. Now, this led me to a point where I had to pretend I was up to date with pop culture. I had to pretend I was good at sports. I had to pretend to be a good Christian in a church where my youth group was fun, but the preaching was just downright boring. And that's all a lot of my evangelical upbringing was. It was, it was boring. It was constantly masking my autistic self and the fact I couldn't read social cues or social signals and trying to measure up to a life I really didn't like. I used my talents, masking, and false confidence to hide the fact that my parents infantilized me. And I used those talents to hide the fact that I was shy and could never fit in when all the kids bullied me at, at church and school. And I had no idea why, even though autism was the actual problem that had to be solved. So in youth group, my youth pastor told me if I did something incredible for God, I'd leave a legacy and have a good reputation. So I played in the church youth group band and started producing solo hip-hop tracks. My parents were able to bring a computer from my dad's work, and I found some shareware software from Radio Shack. I installed it on and started producing my first tracks. And all throughout high school as well, 
just to try and get some more inspiration for my lyrics, I snuck into movies that were rated PG-13 and 14A. For those in the States, 14A is like a soft restricted rating. And after watching certain secular films, I was able to understand what girls were talking about if they were making references to music or I was starting to, well, I was starting to understand what teen movies like American Pie were all about. I even made hidden references to them in some of the lyrics I was jotting down and even rapping at church too. It it was pretty funny <laughs> when you think about it. Of course, all this still wasn't helpful. I would forget certain things because of what I was balancing when it came to studying and trying to research to fit in with people. I couldn't even put out a blistering retort when I was bullied to save my life, even though I had watched all these movies and tried to keep as up to date with pop culture as I could. The thing is, there are there's still quite a bit of blocked memories from junior high school, but I started to figure out that the masking was getting to me, and I was figuring out through some of the fights I was getting and some of the meltdowns I was having that there was something wrong. And sure, my church youth group and the band I was part of was accepting me and distracting me from all the trauma I was facing in high school, but I was just scared of everyone deep down. I was scared to screw up when I was playing music, and, like, this was affecting every... This fear was affecting every area of my life. And... The fear wasn't there just because churches told me to avoid non-Christians and to be in the world but not of it, but because deep down, I just knew that something was really wrong in my brain and just living the way that I lived, it, it just will never be enough unless I know the truth of what's going on. I never considered it was autism because, according to my mom, I was fearfully and wonderfully made. And to me, autistic kids were like Down syndrome kids. I never knew about high functioning or Asperger's or anything. So, being told I was fearfully and wonderfully made, it actually breeded an entitlement inside me. And I would complain when things didn't go my way in life because of that. In sophomore high school, which was which is considered grade 10 in Canada, I won a crip dance competition at our local roller rink, and I decided to compete in a dance battle for Spirit Week. I was going to dance in front of the entire school, and I thought I would get some respect because of the fact that I won at the roller rink. Little did I know that I actually signed up for a breakdance battle. I not only lost the dance battle and our grade competition for Spirit Week, I also tripped in front of the entire school. I remember the laughter. I remember the embarrassment. I remember the breakdancer that I was facing off with spreading rumors that I was retarded. Ever since that day, I spent the rest of my entire high school life in hiding. I stopped drawing comics. I stopped dancing stopped attempting to make friends unless there were students that came in the following year. And to add to that, this is not my teleprompter, unfortunately, 
My dad had run away from his responsibilities because he couldn't keep up with this thing called the American dream. He was working too hard to provide for us. He also knew something was wrong, especially when I would melt down and things. And he had to work hard to improve his emotional intelligence after my mom discovered that he had ran away to Vancouver. And even though I denied it, deep down, I really needed him to be there, especially after what happened in front of the entire school. I guess because of the resentment, I had gotten into fights again, I threatened to beat on people, and after school I'd clean myself up if there's blood in my nose or mouth, and I'd go home and I'd study, or practice piano before I played in the band. In my anger and embarrassment from the Spirit Week events, if my sophomore year, just going into the 2000s from the late 90s, I wrote my very first album, and I actually did a re-recording of it all in summer of 2020 during the pandemic. And it's an album of social justice for kids in high school wanted to belong, an album of the wisdom I learned both in church and in high school, and an album just to understand the and figure out the pain and suffering that I had gone through, as people had bullied me for trying to be confident and you know, as as they say in the New York hip-hop world, just trying to get a rep, you know? Just like everyone else. And the other objective of the album is to obviously get people to dance their cares away. The summer before my senior year in high school, I recorded the vocals for the album on a karaoke machine my uncle in Toronto got while he was on his hoarding sprees. After coming home with a full album made, I got a job at McDonald's, and with the money made, I burned the digital recordings onto cassette tapes and CDs. There was no social media at the time, so I promoted my album among the new kids who were nice to me, and I also just handed out tapes and CDs whenever. And then there was the senior year talent show. I auditioned and did everything I could to outperform everyone else because there was this really beautiful new girl, we'll call her Jenny. Uh, she was there judging and I was fired up and I was ready to ask her out afterwards. Of course, before I got up and started to perform in front of her, something inside me told me to wait until after the dance that was coming up. So I did, and I figured out that after I did my audition performance, she didn't accept me into the talent show. I was mad, and to show her how extremely angry I was, I went to the school dance that uh, happened after the audition, and I brought the recording of my CD to the dance, and the DJ played it for everyone there. Jenny was so embarrassed as people started dancing, and we never spoke again after that. And hordes of students, they were talking to me, they were talking to my friends who were with me, they wanted me to do some raps for them and stuff. It was pretty cool. It was actually one of the happiest times in my high school life. The next day, 
everything just came crashing down. What happened was that Jenny told the principal about what I did. And I had no idea that at school dances, there was a no outside music rule. And the principal banned me from going to other school dances that happened. I melted down right there and I screamed at him, telling him that all the students and the staff were all going to hell and that the educational institution was of the devil because everyone, including him, was bullying me and not accepting or loving me for who I was. I dropped out of school, I quit McDonald's, and I stayed completely out of the spotlight. There was even a week where I didn't even want to go outside. Because I'm pretty sure that the entire school knew how angry I got at the principal for what happened. The fact that I was so traumatized by all the years I spent in high school trying to mask and trying to hide things, my parents finally took me to see a psychiatrist. My parents, particularly my mom, was shocked while my dad thought to himself after all he's been through, finally, this happened after I was diagnosed with Asperger's. The psychiatrist, with the help of another psychologist, suggested that I hang around with people who accept artists, and I should go to an artistic church and meet with people who have similar interests. And I wasn't ready for church yet, but what I did to try and gather with people was I did a brief mentorship with uh, DeCapo Productions under Nolan Balzer and Olaf uh, Petlick. Oh man, I can't pronounce his name. Olaf, if you're listening to this, I am so sorry, dude. They connected me with Fresh IE, and I had no idea who he was, but he was part of a church, and I was just like, okay, Christian rap? I don't know. It's, it's kind of weird stuff. But then I heard some of his music, and his Red Letters album was amazing. I enjoyed it, and I just thought, you know, maybe I will have a chance if I just talk to him and maybe get some tips or, or whatever. So after two years of working in a call center and finally graduating from high school in solitude, I just, I had this moment where I had to make a decision and I couldn't take it anymore. I wanted to either end everything or just find a way to get out of Canada and start a new life in Europe or something. But instead, I made the dumbest decision ever, which cost me 20 years of my life, and I went to Waves of Glory Church. I prayed the sinner's prayer in tears that day, and I meant it. I actually felt that God was there speaking to me and telling me that things were going to be okay. I remember that day in March of 2004, and it changed my life, and that's why I'm not fully giving up this thing called Jesus. Well, this man called Jesus because, you know, he is a comforter, especially when I need to hear his voice and, and his touch on my heart the most. It's just evangelicalism. 
just gets in the way of me just experiencing that pure joy. And that day in 2004, I wanted to serve God because I tried everything else. I wasn't doing it because I needed something to fulfill me. I I just felt like there was nothing. There wasn't any meaning. So fresh, I approached me. We played some music that we both made. He, uh, he liked one of my songs. I told him how much I really loved his stuff and that I heard about him through DeCapo. And right on the spot, he offered me a record deal if I would just serve in Waves of Glory and love on his youth group kids that he was ministering to. Of course, I was too traumatized to being be around high schoolers, given the past that I had gone through. And I just realized that he created more of a mainstream kind of pastiche when it came to music, rather than my typical style of New York boom-bap Toronto hip-hop. So I walked away from the deal, I walked away from Waves of Glory, and I attended Springs Church instead. For those of you who are listening from Winnipeg, I am very sorry that I did that. Let me just say that on the record. The years that I attended there and the friends that I made there that aren't wearing masks and aren't getting vaccinated, I want to take back those occurrences that I had and those connections I had with them. So in 2004, probably later 2004, after deciding to read the Bible again and stuff like that, I went to what they call 725. That place was happening, man. It was like the Christian version of a nightclub. Uh, Winnipeg's biggest megachurch, also said, almost said MAGA church. Like, they, this building was off the chain. It had like basketball hoops, it had a pool table, they had, they were selling soft drinks, young adults were hanging out there and conversing while other guys were playing Mario Kart. And the services, they had your typical Hillsong cover band, big stage, smoke machine with a revolving platform. The light show was like enough to cause me to have sensory overload. And the speakers, these were rave speakers. Every, you could hear every frequency and everything sounded shiny. And back then, I vowed one day to perform as a Christian rapper on that stage the very first time I walked into that building and made a couple of friends. Just like everyone else, I felt God close by as I sang my heart out with my hands in the air. I felt safe, and I felt like Pastor Dave was speaking to me every time that he had a sermon. He told us that our lives should never be about ourselves, but about Christ. And he would always say the same thing whenever an altar call is done. Don't let fear hold you back. I took Pastor Dave at his word, and I wanted to get to know him better. So without hesitation, I signed up for Master's Commission and volunteered in the Springs Inner City Church. Yes, they do have an inner city. 
it's not all rich folks and unfortunately um the pastor of the inner city who's a really good guy he actually left and i started to put two and two together ever since 2020 in masters i made a few friends but unfortunately I'm scared to speak to them if I ever saw them again for various reasons that I listed before. And I believe these men that I was close to, they helped me overcome some of the hardships I had in high school. They were really good people. And like, I'm just surprised that they're in the place they are right now. My prayer times in Master's Commission were Prayers about feeling that I'll never be good enough, because even while I was there, I felt like I never belonged. I wasn't rich like the kids were, I had a hard time relating to people without privilege while I volunteered in the inner city, I couldn't help out with anything besides setup and teardown because of not only autism but dyspraxia as well. And eventually, throughout the year, my beat-up Toyota Corolla from 1988 that I inherited from my uncle. It broke down, and I had to bus to the church all the time. And the other thing that bothered me was that not only did I not have to date, and there were a lot of pretty girls at Springs, but I had to deny my feelings when I was infatuated with other people, both in and out of Master's Commission. The church held purity culture teachings to a high standard. All the girls, they never wore anything tight or revealing, and whenever guys masturbated, they had to put spare change in jars. It was pretty intense. But in terms of the purity culture, what actually bothered me was when I did a bit of work in the Main Springs Church School as a janitor, I was able to clean every room there. And when I did some vacuuming in the lobby of one of the biggest rooms, my supervisor told me that I couldn't clean the room that you could enter from the lobby. It was a big room. It had two doors. I didn't see what was in the room, but I took a quick guess that the room that I couldn't clean was Pastor Leon's room. In another podcast episode, I talk about how purity culture isn't just about sexuality, but you also have to have a certain kind of pastiche about yourself. Sorry, pastiche is the wrong word, but you have to have certain qualities. You have to act white. Being a Filipino, that was, um, it was a little bit easier for me to kind of mask my Asian part. But also, you know, you had to be able to sell, you had to be an extrovert, you had to know how to influence people. And Pastor Leon has a whole sermon on influencing the marketplace. But back to that story when I was working as a janitor. You know, I have no idea what goes on in that room, and I still don't know today. But given all the media that's surrounding the church, and I don't want to say anything that will get the church to sue me, but if you've listened to podcasts like Straight White American Jesus or The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill... Most likely the pastors that are referred to in these particular podcasts, they do things that probably involve financial loopholes, disciplinary meetings with staff, and there's probably sexual or toxic masculinity meetings that go on in these rooms. 
I'm not saying that any sexual abuse happened or anything. I, I don't even know if that actually happened in the church anywhere. But there was a couple of staff meetings in Springs that I had to sit in, and they ran like a service with the band and everything. And Pastor Leon actually mentioned that they had to kick out a few people because they were sleeping around with some of the women there. So if you find you're asking questions like why you can't go into certain rooms, why you can't get information, let's say, about finances or about why certain things in the church work the way they do, it's pretty clear that something's being hidden, that the con that the the congregation doesn't want seen or heard by the media. So even though I finished working there and doing masters and graduating from quote unquote Springs College, I figured out a few things. See, people think Springs doesn't want to collaborate with other churches because they're too big. But it's because they try to emulate all the North American Southern Baptist um, Assemblies of God Evangelical Churches. You know, they try to be hyper-conservative libertarians and um, they try to be pure enough to render other churches in Winnipeg is not good enough. Purity to them is not just that of a sexual nature, as I said before, but it's white colonial purity as well, even though they're a very diverse set of people with many people from different races. And of course, the, Font the Fontaine family is Métis. So um, moving on, the second thing I also figured out is that they put way too much emphasis on relevance and not enough emphasis on diversity of Christian opinion. In fact, like if any kind of strange thing enters their orbit, for example, me jamming out to some, you know, indie Christian acid jazz hip hop kind of stuff and a master's classmate heard it, they actually told me to turn it off. When something a person from Springs thinks is unpure enters their orbit, they fill up with fear and they do anything to get rid of whatever it is they're scared of. The third thing is that they plan to influence the marketplace, as I mentioned before. Everything from um, different industries to politics and our health minister is actually from Springs, if you're listening from outside of Winnipeg. When Pastor Leon and Pastor Danny, they encourage things like real estate and mortgage brokers, bankers, lawyers, and politicians like Audrey Gordon to influence the marketplace, this is coded language to not only manage the money and bring evangelical dominion into those places, but it also means that these places need to be purified with their white Christian brand of libertarianism. I actually confronted uh, Pastor Dave about all of these particular points, and the conversation didn't end well at all. And that's when I left the church, while keeping contact with a few friends here and there. So now this is where things get really crazy. In 2007, I started visiting a church called Calvary Temple, who had a very charismatic pastor there named Trevor, who now does something called Catch the Fire Ministries. The only way I can describe Meyer, and I don't want to call him pastor anymore because he's got a lot of harmful teachings as well, but his shtick is like Benny Hinn crazy. He even had 
granola nutter Christians in his services like Stacy Campbell, Kevin Thompson, Todd Bentley. And, you know, if you're familiar with charismatic Christianity or terms like slain in the spirit, you'll understand what I'm talking about. The short version of this crazy fake Benny Hinn revival kind of gospel that I also drank is Kool-Aid after leaving Springs is that if you become quote-unquote on fire for God or passionate and zealous like a jihad kind of Christian, you have to go out and spread that kind of Christianity not only on the streets around your neighborhood, but also to neighboring towns. I remember what happened when I would quote-unquote catch the fire and lie down on the floor and start crying like crazy and like it was so intense that I couldn't even move. Like something spiritual was happening at that time. Either that or it could have been just another meltdown or something. Like I was stuck on the floor every service for at least 30 minutes crying. I actually gaslit myself to think it was the Holy Spirit, but I don't know if it was. And again, it could just be from being overwhelmed and with like with people going crazy in the spirit, people were barking like dogs, screeching, people were dancing around with flags, people were blowing those big weird Israel horns. I have no idea what they're called. It probably, it, it's like a, it's a ram's horn. That's it. That's it. People were screaming hallelujah at random. People were singing and dancing and crying and they were praying and casting out demons. They were getting fake drunk in the spirit. and. Some people were so crazy that they were claiming gold dust from heaven sprinkled all over them. There was even one guy who claimed that he had gold dust on his penis. It was really, really weird. So even though I was in meltdown mode, lying on the ground and shaking and everything, like just looking back on those years, I'm not sure if I felt God at all. I felt overwhelmed by a zealous atmosphere of spiritual insanity and I feel like the only way I can feel God is through composing music or just hearing something when I'm listening to lo-fi or, or just plain quiet when I'm going to sleep. I just kept thinking to myself, looking back on those years, I mean, maybe God was speaking to me while I was crying, but that's probably it. So I joined one of those tours after catching the fire, and two things happened that made me quit afterwards. One incident involved a girl coming to pray with us, and there was something interesting about her. She had kept changing her name as she attended our group and went on a retreat with us, and eventually the leaders thought that she had demons in her, like Legion, before they went into the pigs in the Bible. The leaders dropped her off at a gas station near the edge of Winnipeg before we drove to Portage La Prairie to set the town on fire for God with God's love. And the thing is, I was asking about the situation and they failed to explain what happened until days later when she asked the pastor for prayer in front of the entire church because she wanted to be free from the occult. Like, ugh. The stuff I get involved with, it's, it's weird stuff. The following week after that event, we visited another town and we brought the fire down pretty hard that day. It got to the point where people were playing spread 
the fire of God tag, which means you chase someone at random all over the church. You don't let them get away until you lay hands on them to bring God's fire down on them while you're chanting different scriptures or godly things. And I didn't want to play. We visited two towns. I wanted to go home and I wanted to get some sleep before going to work. But nope, when you're a charismatic Christian, you have to have God's energy and it's your flesh that makes you tired. I got tagged and I had enough. I yelled at the person who tagged me to get away from me and that was it. I was demon possessed to them for freaking out and almost melting down just because I was tired. And it was over for me. I never served under Pastor Trevor's leadership again. But I did go back to that church that the meltdown happened at. And that church is Bethel in Brandon, Manitoba. So before I get into this part of the story, I need to back up a little bit to when I was 10 years old for a second. So as early as 10, I dedicated myself to learning the art of womanizing. I did everything from learn how to dress to learn how to flirt, and it's just I wasn't able to read body language because I was autistic. I didn't know why girls weren't attracted to me because of both my posture and the fact I couldn't read their signals, and a lot of it was a lack of confidence because I had to mask. So I think it was a church friend from Sunday school named Tyrone who told me that a girl likes to be pursued, and it made me a creepy dude in junior and regular high school. I had a few crushes in high school, and because I'm autistic and got stuck on those feelings, I chased after girls to the point of getting restraining orders. And just to sum things up, if I did get into relationships, they actually didn't last long because I couldn't read their vibes. And of course, that whole ch all changed when I became a Christian because I decided to be celibate. So, things dramatically changed when it came to how I handled relationships after I moved to, well, it happened once I moved to Brandon, Manitoba to take web design. And no, it's not the let's go Brandon thing that you're thinking of. That's, that's a different kind of Brandon. This is Brandon, Manitoba we're talking about. Anyway, I started web design class. I started chatting with this girl I had met while going to Bethel Christian Assembly. Uh, she wasn't in my class, but we did go to the same college. We struck up a friendship. We had some coffee a couple of times and uh, did a movie date. And then, of course, everything hit the fan and it was partially my fault. So she told me about her past. And even though she swore that she was a virgin. She had attempted to sleep with someone while she lived in Calgary. And I got kind of mad about it, and we parted ways. Of course, I wanted her back, and I tried all through Christmas and Valentine's Day to try and get back with her. And we did start over with coffee, but then she just said we should never see each other again afterwards. She didn't explain why, but she broke up with me via text, and she texted Proverbs 4.23. Um, she did it with pretext, and she didn't really understand the context of the verse. She was trying to police my infa infatuation with her, which is a typical purity culture move from the woman's side of things. So I decided I would pay a friend a visit, 
And when I did, boy, like, I have a hard time talking about this part, but I walked in to find this friend with the girl I loved. They were making out, and I needed comfort from this friend, and it, I didn't get it. I I had to walk away from the church, and I had to walk away from from a lot of things that day, and that's when my deconstruction, I think, pretty much started. After that day, I, I hated Brandon, Manitoba. I hated the people there that screwed me over, and and they even screwed a couple of friends of mine all the time, and I still actually keep in contact with those people because, you know, they're my people. They're the people that are always tossed to the curb, and we encourage each other while we're down and out. And the thing is, like, I, I hated the fact that there was no arts and culture scene for my rap music while I was out there. I hated the fact that my Bible study at the church, like, the leader there told me to get over it instead of pray with me when I was in emotional pain. I finished schooling and I just went back home to Winnipeg and, like, things were just so bad during that time that... I could only find a content management job with an entrepreneurial maid service. And like the job was just two entrepreneurs and I was helping them with their uh, SQL systems. And they gave me jobs outside my skill set and threw all the grunt work at me and refused to train me in it. So I pretty much gived up on the American dream and just felt like my years in college were a waste. So I went back to call center work and I, during that time, I met my wife who's Mennonite instead of evangelical through some new friends. We got married, we settled down and she started working in a credit union as a loans assistant. I got stressed because of my job in the call center all the time. I got stressed because I couldn't find work in web design and even though we were starting to do well financially, even though she was making more money than I was. I wanted to be ensure that I was the breadwinner. Because that's the whole dynamic of the nuclear family. The man should make more money while the woman stays home and pops out the babies. While working in a call center, I screwed up my back and I had to take some time off. Unpaid. And during that time, finances were not doing so great, and I prayed that a new job would give us 100k at some point. And you know, I have to be careful with those kind of prayers, and because what happened was that I had gotten fired for trying to have a Christian talk about homosexuality in the workplace. Even with my exit from my call center job and injuring my back, my wife decided, let's go ahead and buy a house. And I still couldn't find a job, even though we were able to actually um, finalize the mortgage and whatnot. And I didn't know what to do. So I decided to take my knowledge and start an Android app development business. And during that time, the business didn't go well. Uh, what happened was that instead of investing in other business assets, 
We spent all our money on luxuries and vacations. And of course, my back injury got worse and eventually got to the point where I spent days lying down in bed, reading the Bible, looking for hope. Thankfully, there was still some income coming in as the basement was rented out, so my primary duty was to be the quote-unquote man of the house, the landlord. And at some point, I couldn't even do that job because the sciatic pain was so bad some days that I had to kneel by a coffee table just to use a laptop. Those days were filled with prayers, asking God to kill me. I couldn't work. I couldn't support my wife. The credit union she was at was working her to death. She would come home crying, and I couldn't even comfort her because empathy is a weak point when you're autistic. And it's just everything was so overwhelming, and I had my own problems. I was drinking too much coffee because I was afraid getting drunk was a sin. So I ate lots of sugar. I spent extra money that was supposed to be for other things on 7-Eleven sweets, and I wrote a few albums, made a little money off of them. Life was just messy. Eventually, we couldn't get another renter anymore in 2019, and my wife decided to quit her job at the credit union. The stress was too much for both of us. And that's when my faith in God just, it was just getting worse and worse. I just felt like there was no miracle to save us. I wasn't getting healed. My wife was then also trying to start her own online business while I still couldn't find a job. And we were trying to sell things on Facebook Marketplace. Eventually, we moved into an apartment and... Now, we're house-sitting for my parents while they're out helping my sister because she's having twins. The COVID-19 pandemic has hit us hard when it happened. We were still trying to figure out what to do next. And part of me wishes that because of everything that happened to me and because of just a whole bunch of things screwing me over. Part of me wishes this dumb pandemic would last forever. Because then I could just get away and improve myself, and I would have unlimited time to actually figure things out. Because the world's finally on pause, and I can spend time trying to heal from the wasteful 25 years of my life. 25 years being afraid of people who are not Christians. 25 years of masking autism. 25 years of denying depression with toxic positivity. 25 years trying to train to be a libertarian capitalist, and yet the careers never worked out for me. 25 years of trying to suppress the Asian version of my masculinity. 25 years wasting my musical and artistic talents on trying to enforce white supremacist colonial American Jesus and John Wayne Christianity on my city and people just trying to live a normal, loving life. 25 years of almost literally killing myself. I'm done. I'm just done. It, it's time to move on from evangelicalism. I, it has to die. 
part of moving on from evangelicalism, it involved a lot of deconstruction over the past two years. As much, well, as, as months of both true and false news rage on, friends of mine, they got sucked into the abyss of Trump, the Daily Wire, Bill Maher, Jordan Peterson, the Babylon Bee, and QAnon. Books by Robert P. Jones, Sam Perry, John Fee, and Kristen Cobes Dumay were released, pulling back the curtain behind the enemies that are James Dobson, Jerry Falwell, Tim LaHaye, Phyllis Schlafly, and other members of the so-called moral majority who tried to control the lives of Christians around the world. Christians that are not evangelicals, Christians that are progressive and LGBTQ affirming, Christians who love their colored neighbors, sometimes loving them even more than themselves. And finally, January 6, 2021, a day that threatened the Western world, that day showed me that Christians want to take over the world and turn every government into a theocracy. When people who worship this evangelical God have this kind of power, it can be used to expel people it doesn't like. That's how powerful it is. That's what they're doing with their media. That's what they're doing with their alternative health. That's what they're doing with their alternative sources of information. That's what they're doing with churches like Springs. When a group like this has too much power, the less powerful people always get hurt. And I'm one of the less powerful people. I'm not saying I'm the victim. I'm just saying. I don't have as much control as people think I do, but I see the control and power that people have in these big mega churches, these churches like Springs, these churches like Hillsong, these churches like Lakewood. And I've seen that power in Calvary Temple as well. I've seen that power in Bethel, even though it's not a big church in a small heartland kind of town. Two of my good friends in Brandon, one of them with a past more horrific than mine. Those two friends have been burned by the church too. One of them is trying to give it another chance. The other one just said, you know, cold turkey, I'm done. Not going to church anymore. The church tells people, like me and my two friends, tells them to give more money in order to be blessed but it goes to church expenses rather than feeding the poor, helping the immigrant, or helping my traumatized friend who is trafficked into this country. The church tells them to deny their sickness and their neurology only to watch as they get sicker and sicker and the quirks and the meltdowns and just not being able to understand certain things. They just sit there and watch as that identity that they don't like continues to stick. And the church tells people like us, tells people just trying to live a good normal life. They tell us all to give it all to God and then things will change. Things will get better, but nothing changes. 
In fact, most people don't even change unless they have privilege, unless they have more resources, unless they have a good network, or unless they move from the place they are and, well, some of them actually change because they stop going to church. There are some people who have deconstructed and they're a lot happier without a church than they are in a church. Evangelicalism is not about justice and fairness at all. I agree the world will never be fully fair, but when a system is crafted so only certain kind of people get certain benefits, it is a terrible system. And that system is all about those few things, law, order, toxic masculinity, nuclear family values, control of the entire world, and power to bring the world to their knees through fear. They promise eternal life, but all they've done is take it away. From here on, I'm not sure what I'm going to do when it comes to spirituality and trying to be accepted by a community of spiritual people, but I am going to do one thing. I am going to resist the gaslighting of evangelicals. If you're listening, I have a podcast called Spiritually Challenged. And I'm going on a journey to heal my spirituality, see who God is without evangelical lenses, expose the biggest antichrist in the world, and finally help anyone, neurodivergent, autistic, LGBTQ, or people who have suffered as I have or worse. I want to help them get past their trauma and thrive. I'm in the process of writing a book, exposing the church for the psychological harm it's done. I'm writing music where any funds or any purchases through Bandcamp will go to humanitarian causes. And I'm giving up the American dream, and I am against capitalism. I'm giving up preaching a false gospel. I'm giving up consumerism, especially Christian media consumption. I'm giving up spirituality that creates victims of abuse rather than victims in the Lord. I'm giving up a Christianity that takes the Bible out of context and lives a life that surrounds prosperous pretext. And that's my story. That's why I'm giving up on evangelicalism. Catch you next time on Aaron Parsons After Dark.